0: episode I speak to Sean. Sean is the founder of Mind Data which is looking to reinvent therapy and coaching with client-driven insights. Sean is on a mission to improve the mental health of one million people worldwide. In today's episode we discuss Sean's journey with mental health, suicidal depression, therapy and how he navigated his darkest moments. I think this is a really powerful episode and um, I hope you enjoy.
1: Thanks so much for inviting me on Beck. I've been really looking forward to doing this, it's a real privilege to be here so thank you.
0: It's great to have you on. Um, So the the place I really want to start is mental health is like a term. It's used in campaigns. We all know it's something that is important to everyone. Um, And there's the dictionary definition, but then there's the, um, I guess, definition that people hold to to themselves. And I I kind of want to understand what does mental health mean to you?
1: I mean, I think you're right. Firstly, mental health is kind of banded around a lot uh, and you've got these kind of hard definitions, if you will. But you're right. Ultimately, mental health is probably one of the most subjective things any of us can experience. So we're all gonna have our own flavors of, of that. So I think mental health for me is, um, firstly, it's, it's fluid. So I don't, I don't think that it's anything that's static. You know, the, the, the feeling that I have around mental health in the morning is, is going to be different in the afternoon, evening, this year, next year. So I think that, that the parameters that I base of what mental health is to me is are also changing. At the moment, my my mental health um, relies on being um, how how in tune I am with with what my purpose is in in life. I think I think that generally speaking, if not, if I'm not in alignment with something that means a lot to me, I tend to start to pull away from what I would call good mental health, Um, you know, doing things that I feel uphill. Um, so I think that a shorter way of saying that is for me, positive mental health is when I feel in flow with my relationships, my work, my body, my health, just being in flow for me right now is, is good mental health, I'd say.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really interesting to think about it like that. Just, um, I'm curious, do you have a way of checking in on that? Is there a way of you you like review that in your own life to make sure you are, or is it just kind of a gut feeling?
1: Well, I think the rubbish answer is it's probably more of a gut feeling, I'd say. Um, I think that it is something that since I've been through therapy, I'm more aware of my gut feeling, which is a weird way of wording it. But being open to understanding your, I guess, your physical symptoms are very much linked to your your mental health and whether I'm in flow. So I think I do have some early warning signs around that, you know, headaches, stress, irritability, Sleeping well, you know, whatever it might be, there are some physical symptoms that do present themselves, uh, and and I think that if you're conscious of those, you can use those to your benefit as a bit of a canary down the mine. But overall, i say it's a bit more of a gut feeling to be honest.
0: And those, um, just for people that haven't kind of, uh, I guess, experienced some of the physical symptoms or have had them and ignored them, what are what are some of your most common common ones that pop up? Uh,
1: you know, the first one is I think irritability um i i can't focus on on something for any extended period of time because i have this subconscious feeling that i should be doing something else i should be somewhere else and so that feeling of not being able to sit still i'm not doing the right thing that's definitely the first one um the second thing is physical symptoms such as like headaches um headaches can come on uh for me um i don't know if you can relate to that but um Headaches, and that's usually because I'm overthinking, my mind's overworking, uh, and I'm probably neglecting good food, water, as simple as that is. I'm probably over-caffeinating myself. So irritability, headaches, um, and again, a sense of restlessness. Uh, it comes, I know it comes in hand-in-hand with irritability, but they're, they're the first kind of three symptoms that I start to feel when I'm out of alignment, if you will, with positive mental attitude good he-
0: mental health that really as you were saying it was like these are literally all the symptoms I, I get when having the, the same issues and I find it's like a vicious cycle like I'll start overthinking I won't be present and then I just won't even think about drinking water and then I'll be drinking too much coffee and I might not have slept well and then that cycle just continues until you try and until I have to take a real hard look and go this this clearly something up like what's what what's changed in my life what's going on um because yeah otherwise it just gets into a cycle um but you, you mentioned therapy there what was the I kind of want to know your journey with mental health up until the point of therapy and, and how that uh, kind of came about in your life
1: yeah okay well I think the the real turning point happened in 2014 um, but I guess before going into that turning point, my life up to that point, up to, you know, 23, 24, honestly, Nick, I don't think I had any sense of relationship with mental health. It's something that we would never spoken about at school, never spoken about in the family. Um, other than how are you, you don't seem yourself today, grumpy teenager, whatever it is. No one ever really, and I didn't ask anybody how are you really feeling? What emotions are you going through? That just never, ever happened. Uh, So I think that up until the age of 23, 24, there was absolutely no relationship or awareness of mental health in in any of my relationships uh, at all. Um, So I I think that that's probably where um, my journey begins with mental health, lack of really. Is that something, just before I jump into that, Nick, is that something that you can relate to at all i don't know if it's like an english thing british thing male thing but did you have a similar kind of upbringing or was that something you spoke about with your family
0: no it definitely was it was nothing that's spoken about and to be honest looking back across quite because i think my issues probably started before i even realized that like what the symptoms i was feeling was anxiety um like overthinking worrying but it was never i had a us a really nice childhood and it was up until a point in, I think it was 23, where I had real issues. But no, it, it wasn't spoken about at all. And apart from kind of major campaigns and you'd maybe hear like the suicide awareness stats and it to honest, the campaigns come about every year and it's like, yeah, that's it's, they're great campaigns. I think they are doing lots for people, but I saw nothing change in my immediate friendship group as such. Um, it's only been the The more recent years, I think that as we kind of matured and and grown into it, that we started discussing it. But no, there was no, there was no speak of mental health. I don't think, um, I don't think my parents kind of really understood understood it in that sense, um, in the way it's spoken about now.
1: Totally understand that, Nick. And and I think there's a big part of it is society and generational. I mean, firstly, forget the grandparents ever really understanding unless they had a, a brush with depression or suicide themselves. Generally speaking, they're not really going to understand. Generally, that uh, and parents, I think, very similar. Uh, just something that wasn't spoken about, um, and and I think that amongst my friends and I, I, I actually knew of um, a poor young guy that that actually did commit suicide at school um, in my small small town in Lincolnshire that I grew up in, um, and I, I honestly, looking back, it, it still didn't change conversations amongst my friends, my, my own internal conversation, it definitely felt as though there was a binary thing. Like you are normal, quote unquote, with your, I'm, I'm angry, I'm sad, I'm frustrated, but I'm normal. And then there's this group of people over here that I have nothing to do with that are depressed and suicidal. And I think that looking back, it was something that, when this, this, this young guy was called Sam Blessing, um, and um, I... I, I still, I didn't think that it was ever, ever something that I was ever going to wrestle with at all. I, I never even thought, God, what if that happened to me? I honestly thought, just, kind of pull, I guess, pull yourself together a little bit. It sounds horrible, and I'm so embarrassed saying that, because obviously it's as far from my mindset now as, as you can imagine. But at the time, it was, well, just be happy. Just move to Australia. Start a new life. Like, you're okay, and just snap out of it. So I think that um, there there was definitely no relationship with, with mental health growing up whatsoever, even in the light of something like a suicide um, that, that happened, you know, nothing. Um, but I guess the first brush that I had was in 2014, my, I, I'm the eldest of three boys. My middle brother was dating a girl from the age of, I think they met when they were 10 or something. I mean, real childhood sweethearts, unbelievably. They dated all throughout their teenage years um, and they, I mean, they had their, their 10th anniversary at like 20 or something. Um, and unbelievable, hey? Um, and, and in February of 2014, she started to feel a bit unwell and a bit of a headache. And, um, and by November, 2014, she died. She had a, a stage four glioblastoma, a brain tumor. Yeah, horrible. It isn't thank you, but it's 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 um it's it's a heartbreaking thing to to you know to see someone like that kind of go go downhill and just go through that experience at such a young age and she's passed away by twenty-one. Was, ugh, horrible. Interestingly I would say that it it was that was the catalyst rather than the trigger. I think it was in the wake of Holly dying that I really started to suffer. So she was the first real close death that I'd ever experienced. i would never had any, for a better term, practice, horrible term, but practice with grandparents dying at a young age, let's say. Very fortunate that they were still alive at that point. So this kind of made it hit even harder. And I did the classic guy thing of burying my emotions and being, shall we say, strong, naively, for my brother and my mum. My mum had a very close relationship with Holly. Um, and I thought, well, the best thing I can do is bury my emotions and be strong for them. Uh, and that worked for probably probably three months or so, Nick, to be honest. Um, I felt like I was being strong and looking after them. But it was, you know, worse things were, were to come from burying those emotions.
0: Did you feel it building or was it kind of out of your, out of your tunnel vision and then it kind of came in once it got... Or did you, did you feel the weight on your shoulders at that point?
1: I, I don't think that I consciously felt it, to be honest, Nick. I, 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 I'm a big believer now after being through, and I know we'll come on to this, but after going through suicidal depression, I'm a big, big believer that if it's the first time of you going through it, you only realize in retrospect that you were depressed. It's really hard in the moment to wake up and consciously recognize, oh my goodness, I'm depressed I'm suicidal and I need help. It, you, it, it's a very weird warping that happens very slowly and gradually. I'll say this and then and I'll, I'll take a pause, but I was on um, uh, talking to a, a, another another guy uh, last week and, and he was saying that the precursor to depression is like having a gray filter over your life. You're still doing everything, you're still watching the same things, hanging out with the same people, but suddenly the the colours switched out of it. Uh, And you're not quite depressed at this stage, but things just aren't feeling the way they should. So I would say that in retrospect, there was a grey filter, uh, definitely, that was was over my life. Um, And things just weren't feeling as engaging as they used to. Um, So subconsciously, uh, yes, but consciously. I didn't feel it at the time. No.
0: I can really relate to that. It's um it's I guess it's um it's almost the the only thing I can kind of relate it to is if you're um if you're when I've been drinking previously and then you kind of sober up or even you wake up the next day and you kind of you get cognition back and you're like, Oh, this is kinda of what I feel like. But it is a sort of haze that you can't can't put your finger on but you can't do anything. It can feel like you're wading through mud and your mind just can't, it just can't get started. It's kind of like spinning its tires and just can't get any sort of grip. Um, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. But um, yeah, sorry, you were carrying on with um carrying on with the story.
1: Oh, of course, by the way, just that was a really good analogy, by the way. I totally understand, you know, that feeling of being drunk and then and then kind of coming to your senses a little bit and, and then becoming aware suddenly really good analogy. And I, I'll remember that. Um but I think one of the reasons for that is that when it comes to mental health, it is very different to uh, the rest of our physical health, because we, it's going to sound a weird thing to say, but we are our minds. We can't step outside of our minds. that That's who I am. But, but my mind, me, I have an arm and I have a leg and I can kind of separate the two, so Oh, I, sure, have a broken arm and a leg and I can witness it. The moment that you start to kind of mess with your mind, who you are, there is no second mind to pull yourself out and say, hey, heads up, we're we're in a bad place right now. You're just carrying on experiencing the world as, as you know how to for 30 years, 25 years. But because it's your mind that's going through something traumatic and changing, It's the world that seems to warp because you don't have that reference to to say, you know, knock, knock, Sean. It's your other mind. You're not very well. Whereas you have that ability with your body. And I do wonder whether that's why depression can suddenly creep up on us. Um, You don't live with a broken arm for six months and not notice it. But sometimes you might with your mind
0: yeah there's one thing i want to say on that so there's um there's something called like the um it's often seen with money right the hedonic treadmill um there's there's lots of people that kind of um attest to the fact that uh rich people are you can still get depressed like billionaires can still get depressed everyone kind of it's been proven now that above 70,000 pounds um no increase in your income actually makes you any happier and there's billionaires that are depressed and have committed suicide so money is not the the be all and end all and i think it's at each level you increase your income, your brain automatically gets accustomed to it. Um, In the same way that, um, in order to build yourself up in the gym, you don't actually feel your muscles growing, but it's like consistency over time and you adjust to that and you can, it's only when you see big differences or someone comments on your appearance that you'll notice that you've actually changed. Um, And I think it's the same with um, depression. As soon as you, each negative kind of um, crank of the handle that happens in your brain, the more negative thinking, the more you just kind of get used to it and your brain automatically adapts because we are amazing at adapting. And I think that's what happens with negative thinking. I can, I know that's what happens to myself, but you just get used to it and your brain goes, right, well, we've got to carry on, we've got to get used to this. You've got to still operate. It's still got to move about and, and get through this. And if you try and fight it without getting help or addressing it, then you can get to that stage where it, it can, um, backfire or, implode if you don't address it in the correct way but that that's how it felt to me that my brain was just it kept adapting at every stage until it felt like it crept up on me but in reality it was just adjusting at every at every point
1: it's an amazing way of wording it Nick I've never heard it described in that way and I cannot relate to you more (laughs) Um, I think that's a a very very neat way of describing it Uh, and it makes so much sense because because of our abilities to adapt so well and survive. Absolutely, when you're having those 1% marginal changes and gains, if you will, um, you, you're right, they're, they're, they're so incremental, they're, they're insignificant. And so before you know it, you're right, you look back and say, my goodness, I'm 20% more depressed than I was six months ago, but I was making 0.3% changes every day or whatever. So very, very clever way of, of wording it. And I think even more so that it's important that as society as individuals we become far more conscious and aware of the 0.1, 0.2% changes because we shouldn't write them off as, it was just a bad day. Now, it may have been, sure, but if it's two bad days, three bad days, maybe there's a pattern here. Maybe there is a sense of change going on rather than the odd bad uh, fluctuation in our mental health, Uh, and I think that 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 speaks to that.
0: Uh, One thing I want to ask you, and um, hopefully you're okay with me asking it, is a lot of people won't have experienced um, really dark thoughts and may have experienced them, but don't feel comfortable or or I guess don't know how to bring them up to friends and family. Is there a way you can describe some of your um, low moments, whether it's like anxiety or um, some of those moments, or even just how you would tell someone close to you that you're experiencing them? Um, how you would like to have been asked and phrased it.
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah. Always happy to talk about, about this, especially to raise awareness. Um, I think in, in terms of like the dark thoughts and, and feelings, I think the first one is just sheer desperation. Um, desperation of just wanting it to, to end the, the the agonizing numbness. Um, I, I guess one I think this is changing, but one, I think misconception around depression is it's infinite sadness and it's actually not. Uh, I, I think that the term depressed, I mean, literally when you depress something, it sinks in. And I do wonder whether that primes us to imagine it's just a sinking of our feelings and we're feeling low. My experience with depression was it was the absence of all emotions and emotions are what make us human, and depression robs us of that, and that leaves you in a very desperate situation, longing to be sad, I wish I felt sadness, but an existence of just numbness is some—it's hell on earth sometimes, and so I think that's one misconception that if anybody listening still kind of has, I'd love to try to, to shift that, because if someone is going through depression, they're not sad, they, they can't just pull themselves out of it with positive thinking, because you, you need to restart this person having emotions, shall we say, rather than changing the emotions, and so I think that desperation was one, just sheer agonizing desperation, um, and numbness, they, they were the two overwhelming feelings, not emotions, but feelings, I guess, I, I was living with, and that can underpin everything that you do you every relationship you have uh, and i don't mean human relationships either a relationship with work with university with ultimately with life and i i got to the point where i had an overwhelming sense of just wanting to end my life um and there there was a, a weird mix of not really wanting to die as, weird as, as, as desperate as I was, I didn't necessarily want to die, but I sure as hell wanted my current life to end. Um, and, and I think that, I think, certainly when I was suicidal, that's where I, I think I would land on that side. I wanted my life to end, but I didn't want to die. Kind of a slight nuance between the two. Um, and so I think that they, they were the two feelings that i experience and, and the best way to visualize it i think is i felt like i was in the middle of the ocean uh, on a pitch black night no moon no stars no point of distance on the horizon there was just nothing it was an abyss and you're in the middle on your own and the the overwhelming feeling of size enormity of this ocean that's around you of nothingness is all-consuming, and that's the best way that I can visualize um, if someone hasn't, thankfully, been through depression. For me, it was that feeling of just loneliness and overwhelming vastness of nothing. Very, very crushing feeling, but that's certainly the, what, you're, what you're going through when you're smiling at someone at university and saying, I'm fine, thanks because it's just so difficult to explain what I've just explained when you're going through it to someone when they say how are you doing they probably don't want to be greeted with all of that
0: thank you so much for for sharing that it's, um i think it's going to be so powerful for someone that's going through it and as you said may just be going around and no one has any idea what they're going through because they don't feel they can verbalize it or haven't heard someone verbalize it so yeah thank you for um thank you for sharing and I guess knowing what you know now was there anything that you wish you could have said to yourself in that in that moment when you were at your kind of lowest and feeling in that abyss that you think could have helped
1: yeah I mean definitely yeah god where, where would I begin if I could speak to my you know 24 year old self I think that the first thing is the one thing that held me back, one of the things that held me back from opening up to friends, family, loved ones, was a, a crushing feeling of being a burden to them. I, goodness knows where that comes from, but I have heard other people speak about that before. Um, the one thing I've reminded Sean of being 23 is you're, you're not a burden by opening up. In fact, our relationships are always bilateral. Um, to be in a relationship, you want to be there for someone and vice versa. And I think that I was denying those people around me, the ability to help me. Uh, and I hope that doesn't sound self-centered. You know, I, I don't mean because of me, but we're close. We're in each other's lives. They they love you in in different ways. Maybe you're in love with someone. Maybe you love them as family, love them as friends. They truly want to be there to help you. And, and every time that I didn't open up, through fear of being a burden. I was denying them of that. I was denying our relationship of getting that much stronger and deeper. So I would say to Sean, please open up. They want to be there for you. You are not a burden. You are not a burden. Um, That's the first thing I'd say to myself and anybody that's going through that right now. You are not a burden at all.
0: Powerful, really powerful. And was there any ways that you... And on that uh, point of opening up, well, I think one thing that um, people are concerned with is not knowing what to say. If you if you were to, if their friend opens up to them and they have a really serious topic, is there any way that you wish or friends did ask you and hold a space for you that, that you think that other people could find valuable and and kind of um take advice from?
1: There is one question that I heard, and goodness knows where I heard it, but it's very powerful. If someone opens up to you, um, always ask them the question, I hear you, do you want to discuss it or be distracted from it? And that's something that uh, I wish I had, had known and, and I'll always use if someone opens up to me now because there's a very high expectation uh, that if someone's going through something and they open up, And the person listening with all the love and care in the world, and they say, talk to me. How do you feel? Open up. It's a very loving thing to do, but it's a tall order to ask and put on that person unintentionally. Maybe they don't want to. Maybe it's the hardest thing. Maybe them just saying, I'm not in a good place, Nick. And that is all I can muster for the next week. You know, it took so much energy and strength to do that. So by that person giving autonomy to say, I hear you, I'm here. Do you want to talk about it? Or do you want to be distracted from it? Maybe they say, do you know what, just you knowing Nick is enough to help me sleep well at night. Let's go and do something else. Perfect. So do you want to discuss it or be distracted from it, I think is one bit of advice that I I would give to people on the outside, if you will, of, um, of, uh, of, of someone going through mental health challenges.
0: Mm, i love that i love that cuz sometimes um uh, and sometimes it may just even be they just want to say it and they just want to be heard and then that's it they just want to cuz uh, one of the things um hopefully w- we can go on to therapy in a second but one when, a- when i was dealing with um my depression and anxiety um one of the things i loved about therapy was just being able to like i had never verbalized these thoughts they just ran as like tracks over and over in my head and I hadn't even been able to like verbalize them out loud felt like I was living a double life that I had all this, like inner turmoil going on. Um, but yet I was expected to live this life, which feels very like at the surface level, sometimes at work, it can feel very, um, you don't say certain things, you don't speak about certain topics and, um, it's, you know, it, it'd it probably be a bit weird if I just suddenly opened up at, on my lunch break to people or, uh, at a birthday that I was going to with my friend. Um, and sometimes it's just if a friend can create the space for you just to say it out loud and then that's it. Sometimes um, a friend did it to me recently and I didn't even have to say anything after and his shoulders just like dropped and he just like sighed this massive bit of relief. And it's just like, I just I just needed to say that out loud. Thank you. Um, and I think that's, um, yeah, I th- I wish so many people would just get the courage to um and know that it's okay and you're not a burden and just to say it <laughs> however however hard it feels in the moment just to uh, verbalize it or even if it's just on the notes on your phone go to a quiet place and just speak to your phone um because even just getting it out of your mind can sometimes help alleviate some of that stress
1: yeah I totally agree. you're absolutely right and i think it's also a reminder for um all of us to check in on your friends, uh, to to proactively provide that space should they need it. Just say, how are you? You know, and and seriously, how are you doing? You know, if you want to get anything off your chest, I'm here. And it can be out of the blue. You know, that person that's always laughing at the party. You know, things are going great in their career. Maybe they're the one that are most susceptible. To be honest, so you're absolutely right. Like just providing that safe space for anybody at random points. Uh, it, it can really help them, as you said, that, you know, your frame with the shoulders just dropped and said, thank you so much, I needed to say that. Um, uh, and sometimes providing that space for them to be able to do that without expecting them to, hey, if you've got a problem, you're going to have to come to me and open up. Man, that's a tall order to ask. It's really, really hard. Do I do it on my lunch break, as you said, randomly, like by the water cooler, at that birthday party, when everyone's having a great time, and it's the only time I get to see you, James? Um you're right it's um it's a, it's a hard thing to choose that so if we can collectively remind ourselves to just provide those random spaces and pockets for people maybe that could just save someone's life
0: 100 percent. and uh your your experience with therapy it's um it's something that definitely changed changed my life and i know it's something that um friends i've had particular friends have messaged me about therapy on i'd say some of them are coming up to seven eight occasions about oh, i'd really love to do it but i'm just not sure about it um how was it it might be quite expensive i'm not doing it through the nhs so i guess what what um what led you to getting uh, i guess what was the moment you thought therapy is now the right option and then how was your how was your experience with it i
1: think mine was out of actually like almost desperation again I, I wish I could say that it was enough of a conscious decision to be like, I think I am going to be better with therapy. Um, it, it was actually at the point where I had contemplated overdosing with pills uh, and I didn't do it, but contemplating um, seriously doing it and, and like really putting steps in place to, to make sure that I could kind of get away with it. And it was around that time that I thought, weirdly, this is going to sound very weird, that was the moment where I thought, I don't think something's right. And, you know, everything that had happened over the weeks and months, it was actually at that breaking point that I thought there was almost like this wake up moment, sobriety hit me of like, what am I doing? Like, I'm seriously planning this. And this is really going to happen potentially. And so I was very fortunate that I was at university when I was going through this. And so we had a student welfare department and what blessing that was because you know, the NHS, I would have been waiting eight weeks, 12 weeks, God knows what. Uh, private, well, at the time I was a student, so I, I wouldn't have been able to afford to go to, to private therapy, probably. Um, so it was, it was then that I reached out to um, student welfare. at either, Or I think actually maybe my lead professor or someone, I can't remember exactly who, but I basically just said to them, I think I need to talk to someone. I think, even then it was, I think, I don't know, I don't know how this works, uh, but it was that, that then they put me in, uh, into student welfare, and I had this amazing therapist, counsellor, I guess, uh, called Betty, um, and she, uh, over the next 18 months, literally, this term gets used a lot, but she literally saved my life, and changed my life. Um, so, long answer, but that was the catalyst for me going to therapy, and it was in the context of student
0: welfare thank you thank you again for for sharing i I think it's so powerful for for people to 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 hear these stories and know that um sadly that that you had to go through it and other people are going through it currently but it's it it's so good to to hear you speak about it and say that it changed your life and i think that is it will change so many people's life but even if it is a counselor a professor a friend just to take that first step to go do you know what i'm it, it's okay that it's it's okay that I'm not okay. Um, and I think going back to your point earlier, your friends would so. I, I don't know if you follow what that happened with that uh, Paddy from the UFC. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, that I'd rather have my friend crying on my shoulder than um, me having to go to his funeral. And I think um, if you just take a moment to reflect on how much. You mean to your like friends and family and your close ones, and just remember that whatever it is that you're feeling, um, you will be able to address it and you will be able to get help. Um, I th- yeah, I just think it's it's so powerful to hear those stories because it makes, um, I know when I was going through it that just even hearing someone say that they were depressed, even someone saying that they had those thoughts, it made it normal rather than just um you battling that abyss by yourself. You were able to get someone in the room to help you um yeah i think it's so powerful and thank you thank
1: you yeah no um i, I think that it is very powerful absolutely just getting to that point where you can open up and, and ask for help is probably the strongest thing that you can you can actually do you know as, as a human being uh, and, and it's not to minimize that how hard it is to actually do that um it really is you know a, a near impossible thing to do at times but if, if you can get to that point where you, you seek help and you're having that conversation with someone. I can't tell you. I mean, it, 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 as I said, it, it did save my life. And I don't mean to belittling that because it literally did. But I think just as importantly, it changed my life. I mean, back to one of those earlier questions that you asked around what was, when, when was the turning point that you suddenly kind of had a, an awareness or relationship with mental health? For me, it was therapy. I, I think that was it. It was when someone said, Betty, that's someone Betty said, and how did that make you feel? What emotions were you going through? I think it was in that room where that type of question is the first time anybody had asked me that. You know, maybe someone had asked me, Oh how how did that make you feel about that thing? You potentially something a bit more casual. But being asked to like articulate your emotions about that and walk through how that made you feel and why did you feel that? And and kind of forcing yourself to be self-aware of these things called emotions, and then not just fleeting uncontrollable things the things that you can be aware of and look at and touch and uh, and and be aware of that was a real like life-changing moment for me I I don't know if you can relate to that with your experience with therapy
0: yeah 100% 100 agree it's um it it 100% changed my life I always try and emphasize it like just how much it 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 kind of meant to me by kind of exaggerating it but I do mean it when I say it like I would give up every career achievement, personal possession, whatever it would take in that moment where I felt like I needed it in that, um, in, in the dark moments to have therapy and to have that person. Um, because the way I feel now, the, that haze was lifted. I was able to get control over my mind. And I, yet yeah, I think it's, and it, it wasn't, and I mean, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but it sounded like 18 months. That is a long period. And I wouldn't want people to think it's, you, you go there it's a quick fix and it's a kind of a, a golden bullet i went multiple times had multiple um setbacks fallbacks almost back to square one at points and it was consistency over time and being vulnerable enough to really have the courage to go to the the dark places and it, for me it got worse before it got better but that was the the journey i had to go on but um yeah i don't know if you if you've got any kind of thoughts on because that's a that's a good 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 amount of time to be working on yeah
1: i totally agree nick i mean i I think you're absolutely right um this this idea of being in a room with a therapist that they're kind of going to have a a magic pill and you know wave the watch in front of your eyes or something and suddenly you're not going to be depressed and you know it fixes you um uh, ultimately you know this is a journey of it's an inside job i mean they're just asking the questions they obviously very smart people they know exactly what to ask and things like that but You can only go as fast as you internally are ready to go for. And, you know, if there are still like those dark corners of your mind that you ignore, it's absolutely fine. But you know that to get to there, you will at some point, unfortunately, have to open up those boxes. Just like you, there were times that I would skip over that box and Betty would have no idea that I've just skipped over it. But off we go and carry on. And it worked to some degree, but actually eventually we do this winding road and then we're back at that box again, because it's inevitable, because there's that thing that's in there that you need to address and overcome. And so one step forward, 10 steps back, 100 steps forward, 20 steps back. I mean, push, pull, up, down, left, right, very messy experience at times. Um, and it does require patience uh, and uh, a lot of confidence to lean into those hard conversations. Sometimes they'll ask a question that, will t- that can't take the wind out of you, uh, you know, like how, and how did it make you feel when that person did that? Or, or whatever, you know, what, what's your view of that person? Do you think they're bad? What, whatever it might be, you think, oh my God, like I'm in the hot seat here. And sometimes it can be hard hitting questions. And usually they're only hard because they're comf- uncomfortable for you to answer. And if they're uncomfortable for you to answer and go there, Exactly where you should probably be going, because you don't want to be avoiding those things. So you're absolutely right. It's not easy. It requires patience. And I mean, I'm I'm in therapy again now, um, and I have been for the last month or so. I think it's a lifelong relationship with our mental health. Um, and you know, I don't think you ever wake up fixed. Um, you know, I was saying to you before we started recording, I've had a really bad day today, anxiety wise. Huge imposter syndrome building the startup stressing about money um uh, and if you'd have asked me three weeks ago two weeks ago i felt on top of the world building this startup i'm i'm, I'm doing things really well uh, you just never know when you turn that corner and something happens you know so it's a lifelong relationship
0: yeah thank you thank you for sharing that and um yeah it was um it's always so good to to hear the honesty and um you being able to i'm sure when you're able to have that conversation with your friends and loved ones that it's it it gives them the space to to feel like they can have those conversations about their own life and then you don't have to battle it alone but the, yeah thank you for for sharing what was um you mentioned that you're building your, the the startup that we we kind of spoke about before what was um i guess the what was the inspiration behind it and what what is the, the company if you were to give a um an elevator pitch
1: um Mind so I guess it goes back to therapy, actually. Um, I saw this quote from a U.S. Marine uh, when, I was, when I was going through therapy, and he had tried to commit suicide in Iraq uh, in 2005 or something. And he ended up saying that his life's mantra was that his purpose was greater than his circumstances. Um, and it was something that really stuck with me to think, my goodness, like, I don't have a purpose in life. What what's that? Gandhi has a purpose. You know, few people have ever asked me what my life goals are. That's not something that comes up, let alone a purpose. So it was during that time that I thought, well, if I just choose a ridiculously big life's goal, um, that will will always kind of like pull me through my dark times maybe and give me something bigger to hang on to than myself. And so I just said, I want to improve the mental well being of a million people worldwide. Good how, how on earth am gonna do that? I don't know, but somehow by hook or by crook, I'm gonna do it. You know, my deathbed—that's what I want to be able to say. Um, and so, I, you know, skip after graduation. I was part of a, a tech startup, um, and we grew that company from the three of us to acquisition a year and a half ago. I didn't—I was always um, involved with mental health at the company or talking on Instagram, LinkedIn a little bit. Um, kind of kept my hand in mental health and spoke to a lot of people about it, but didn't really know how on earth I was going to speak to this. So, um, it was actually when, um, about midway through that, uh, it, that chapter about 2018, when, um, heartbreakingly, the emails from Betty, I kept in touch with Betty after university. Um, we had a lovely relationship and, um, heartbreakingly, the emails just stopped, uh, and she died, um, as a horrible twist of fate my understanding is that i think it was a brain tumor uh, just like holly uh, and it was a horrible weird full circle thing to think god this is the person that i pulled my pulled my heart out to talking about how holly's death made me feel and here's betty bless her that's passed away um and it got me kind of thinking god i wish i'd made more of my time with betty and you know and the the power of therapy for me and human-to-human therapy, Um, I wouldn't be here if if I only had an AI chatbot, let's say, instead of Betty. Um, And so I I basically just thought, well, how can I include my love and passion of technology into my experience with therapy? And how could I make more of that? Is it possible? Maybe, maybe not. So I started by looking at the the areas of therapy that I wish I could have improved. Uh, The first one was the first 10 minutes of every session I had with Betty were always very messy. Uh, I was trying to update her on kind of everything that happened during the week and forgetting a lot as well. That was another common challenge that I had. So uh, the first version of Minds Data a year and a half ago was a web app that enables you to track how you're feeling and why as many times a day as you like, whenever the emotion strikes you, um, and a reminder section of bigger things that you may want to pick up with. And this insight is then shared with your therapist on their own dashboard. So the idea is that they know exactly how you've been since they last saw you. Um, And just to make the uh, therapeutic relationship deeper uh, and improve the therapeutic experience of that, make the most of those sessions while we're in there kind of thing. So I'll just take a pause there, Nick, but that, that was the first version of Mind Data. And that was the story that led up to me wanting to to build this startup
0: god that was making me really emotional then the that story that it came back around and um that ended up being the the same reason and um it's, yeah it's just amazing that people like yourself take those events and turn it into a, a positive thing because it's, it's i mean that must have been devastating news to to get yeah. thanks nick it,
1: it yeah it was it it, it really was and the, uh, a weird a weird thing you know I'm going through therapy at the moment and I've been there a month and obviously as we do we revisit our childhood parents divorcing you know um, breakups, failed relationships, relationship with your brother whatever it is right and I've only cried once in therapy and it was talking about Betty and it made me realise that God like this amazing lady I mean amazing um, that I have such a deep relationship with, that she's not going to be around to see mine data. And it, I don't mean to sound self-centered, because who cares about me and my startup? That's, I'm not Elon Musk and, and things like that. But in my world, you know, if there's one person that I wish I could have sat down and said, basically, Betty, this is because of you. Um, you know, I'm, I'm paying it forward. You saved my life, and and i hope that what i've created is is improving you know hopefully a million people worldwide in therapy there's something quite crippling for me and very emotional to think that i just for love nor money i'll never be able to show her that and that that is a, always leaves a lump in my throat that's really really hard for me um but you know you just have to like go on and move forward with it and and i'll i'll provide this software to the you know university of buckingham student welfare department you know for free for life obviously they they saved my life and that that would be my way of kind of giving back to them i guess in, in a very very small way but yeah it's, it's a horrible story i guess in, in that weird twist of fate
0: but the legacy will live on through everyone that you've helped and will help through this even if it's one conversation someone then may take that information and help a friend i think it's um it's yeah never underestimate the the real knock-on effects that you're having in people's lives but um yeah I think uh, what was making me emotional is I think just I just thought back to the impact that um yeah my therapist has had on me and it it made me think of um story about Kevin Hart and just before he was about to become successful as a comedian just before he was gonna make it big um his his mum passed away and that's the the one thing that he always I think is a big driver of his um passion to make people laugh is to to kind of live on that legacy and to to to, because yeah I think it was that he always wanted to always wanted to put a smile on his mum's face because there was a definitely a fractious relationship with his parents and I think it's so powerful to take those emotional events and those like tragic circumstances and pay it forward with that with that legacy so um yeah long may it continue with uh with your business and how you're impacting people's mental health.
1: Thank you, Nick. Yeah. Th- thank you. That, that means the to here. Thank you. Yeah. Touch wood that we get there, um, and, and complete like, the build and, and get it in the hands of as many therapists around the world as, as, um, as possible. Um, I guess the, the other piece of mind data to round off what on earth mind data is, is, um, again, I guess driven by Betty, actually. Uh, when I, I, I didn't speak to Betty about it, it was too soon, but when I was talking to therapists and counsellors um, about this concept of how your clients can track and journal, improve self-awareness, and you can have access to this as well to, as part of your prep for a session, blah, blah, blah. Um, And it was during those, those research conversations that I realised that these amazing people, like Betty, like your therapist, on average, on average, are quite underserved by technology. Generally speaking, um, most of them will still run their businesses with pen and paper on their notes, and they'll use like their Outlook calendar for appointments. Um, even some some therapists I spoke to uh, don't invoice; uh, they'll just kind of say, "Hey, you know, Nick, sure, just transfer me the money before next session," kind of thing. Um, and so I thought, well, while I'm building this dashboard, why not just make their lives easier by creating a platform that they can live and run their businesses from from anywhere in the world so uh, the other side of it that speaks to betty shall we say is you know encrypted secure patient note taking scheduling uh, client insight uh, from the you know the user information and um, uh, and invoicing as well um, so you know all of that kind of the idea is that mind data is this uh, te- technology catalyst to the human-to-human therapy experience. And my vision is everything that we build either makes life easier for a patient and therapist and or improves the overall therapy experience for both. I never want Mind Data to get in the way of therapy. It should only ever be there as a tool to be used to improve. But um, that's certainly the the vision of Mind Data that, that I hope to build.
0: Thank you for sharing. I think anything that enables sessions to be better and to make sure that information doesn't slip. And I think there's something really powerful in the fact that whilst it's important to have the conversations in the therapy room about the topics, sometimes you bring them up yourself face to face seems quite daunting. So there's something in being able to record that not face to face and then them have that data to be able to broach the subject with you. I think it will actually really really develop people's sessions um so really yeah really excited to see how that um how that can help people but it's yeah such a cool vision and so glad it's uh and so glad it's coming coming together um yeah thank thank you for coming on i think i've loved the conversation it's been um appreciate your honesty your vulnerability and i hope other people can walk away from this um feeling like they had the the courage and um the, the the bravery to speak up about how they're feeling and to check in on their friends and to to keep pushing and to to if they've gone through tragic events to to take that and to to try and pay it forward um so yeah just thank you for coming on
1: thank you for inviting me Nick honestly thank you thank you for your honesty as well i know uh, as a, as a host you know i guess for the most part, you've got the guests kind of being vulnerable and open, but you've done an amazing job for sharing some of your intimate stories as well. So like, I felt like I was the host for a moment at times listening to your, uh, your stories. So thank you as well. It's been a real pleasure to, to come on here. So thanks.